Hill. You're going to want to mark this next event on your calendar. Come out and support our student ministry as they prepare for their mission trip to Guatemala and join us for a night at the Middletown Texas Roadhouse. You can choose dine-in or takeout and help raise funds for their trip. See you there! If you haven't already picked up one of our red Together Initiative envelopes, please do so at the giving boxes placed around the worship center. We ask that during this time you prayerfully consider giving above your regular tithes and offerings so that we can work together for the church, for the community, and for the world. Give me five! That's right, we have five Christmas services this year at Shelby Christian Church. We want everyone to be invited and feel welcome on the hill. So do us a favor, grab some cards on your way out, and help us spread the word. And that's what's happening on the hill. Hey church family, you're looking good out there. Merry Christmas. Will you stand to your feet? We're going to worship the Lord today. I hope you have joy of the season in your heart. Let's sing about together. Come on, let's sing together. Joy to the world. Oh, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare His room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature see
seated real quick. What's up church? How y'all doing today? It's a good day today. Um, Satan is about to lose one and heaven is getting another one. Put a round of applause for that. Let's go y'all. Real quick, this is my good friend TJ Roberts. Uh, I've been praying for this dude for the last two years and I don't know if you guys are going to believe this. This might shock some of you guys, but I met TJ at the gym, believe it or not. So through our relationship, through the conversations we've had, this has been an iron sharpens iron moment with this man right here. So um, let's go ahead and get this ready going, man. Um, Same thing we've been talking about over the last couple of days. Year with you um, is a statement of faith, a confession, my man. So repeat after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. Son of the living Father. Son of the living Father. And I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Because of that confession right now, today, before my brothers and sisters that you're about to gain, and before heaven, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the gift of eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit, my man. Let's go. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Y'all can be seated real quick. We're going to pause for a second as we just continue our worship, not just in song, but in giving and taking communion together. But, you know, we've been talking about our Together campaign. And as we are giving through this season, we want you to hear from some of our partners all around the world. And so watch this video real quick. Hey, Shelby Christian Church, it's John May. Just want to take this opportunity to just say thank you for your support of our work with Team Expansion and also the work of Joe and Ashley Derry and Ron Franklin. Uh, it's just a blessing to have a church that really cares about uh, the unreached and to reach out to people who have never heard the gospel. And I just want to take the opportunity to say thank you once again for your support not only of our ministry with Team Expansion, but also Joe and Ashley's and Ryan's. And I'll throw it to them so they can say thank you as well. Hi, Shelby Christian Church. Merry Christmas. We wanted to thank you guys so much for your support, for your generosity, and for all your prayers. And we wanted to give you a quick update of the ministry here in Italy. Yeah, so since we've gotten back, the Lord's really been gracious to us and our teammates. He's given us some opportunities to collaborate and connect with in-country partners, so Italians who have caught the vision to make disciples who make disciples. And we've done some trainings up in the north, here in Ancona, and also down in the south in Sicily. So from the north to the south, um, different different trainings have been going on, and uh, it's just been a blessing to be part of that. We even saw this past weekend two people um, give their lives to the Lord. So we're just grateful to that. We're grateful to the Lord for that. And you know, it just would be impossible without you guys um, to make this kind of stuff happen. So again, we thank you guys for your continued prayers, for your financial support, um, and just knowing that 
we're united in this wherever we're at in the world. So whether in Italy or in Shelby, Kentucky, we're all making disciples. So may the Lord bless you this Christmas season, and uh, thank you again. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. everybody at Shelby Christian here is Ryan Franklin coming to you from the city of London literally right behind me is the skyline covered by fog today but nonetheless a beautiful evening as we stand here on this beautiful Thursday afternoon and I just wanted to stop and uh, say thank you as I kind of come here on a weekly basis and pray and say thank you so much for your giving thank you so much for all that you do to send me here to the city to walk these streets right behind me and to work with the Somali people group a vastly unreached people group in need of the gospel so again thank you thank you thank you for all that you do for me and helping reach the unreached blessings into the new year and look forward to see you soon Other are able to support, to spread the gospel all over the world. Amen. We're in the Christmas season where we're talking. In the Christmas story, there's a lot about the words love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There's, there's peace. For he is the peace that we were longing for. There's hope. Right? And there's also joy. And there's nothing better to trigger the spirit of joy within you than to give. Amen. A lot of you have experienced that whenever you give. It blesses us sometimes more than it blesses the person we're giving to. So we're going to take a second and whenever you come up and you give and you grab your cup that's got the bread and the juice together, we want you to grab that red envelope if you haven't already. We want you to be praying about what does God want me to do does God want to stretch me? Does God want to use me? God doesn't need our money, but he gives us the opportunity to be a part of his story. So we pray with me. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you are doing in the world, what you're doing in our community, in our church, in this state, in this country, and all over the world, God. We thank you for your son that we can take the body and the juice that represents the blood. And we can remember that sacrifice that you gave for us, Lord. Help us to give it back to you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
you are here forever, God. We love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. You can be seated. From high above us, God sees far beyond us, God hears. From his eternal distant home, God loves. He sees all people in all places. And it's easy for us to imagine that he does so from this perspective. High, beyond, distant. But then, Christmas. It appears without earthly fanfare or celebration. The cry of this child screams that the same God who is above and beyond and distant has not only come close to us, but that he's indeed with us. So what if the name Emmanuel means what it means? With us. The manger proclaims that the very presence of God is now present with us. In the mundane, in the uncertainty, in the mystery that lies beyond our understanding or explanation. God Himself is with us in our joy and our happiness. He's with us in our sadness and our brokenness. He celebrates in the light with us, and He holds us in the dark with faithful and secure arms. What if the name Emmanuel means what it means? Christmas not only begs that we ask that question, but also provides the answer that our hearts have been longing for all along. Can this possibly be? Yes, it can. And it is God with us. Emmanuel. And he's closer than our wildest dreams can ever imagine. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. We need that reminder, don't we? We need the reminder that God himself stepped out of the throne room of heaven, right? into our story, into the story that he created, that he is the author of. It's not even true to say it's our story, it's his story. But the author, the hero, the main character of the story of the world stepped out of heaven into this world. That is what Christmas is about. 
Now, I realize that over the next couple of weeks, right, the, the world and society is going to tell you that Christmas is about a lot of other things. And those things are form, uh, fun and, and warm and fuzzy, and, and they are periphery, right, to Christmas. But we cannot forget and we cannot miss that this is ultimately about a God who said, I know how close you need me to be way before you knew how close you needed me to be, right? He knew. And I love the cornerstone passage. You saw it at the beginning of this video. It's the cornerstone passage for this series. And here's what it says. Matthew 1, 23. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Have you guys noticed that, I'll just kind of for a second, have you guys noticed that sometimes Emmanuel is spelled with an I and sometimes it's spelled with an E? And you're like, I wonder what that is. Well, I'll, I'll kind of share it with you if you don't know. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so it's translated to Hebrew. So I, in the Old Testament, Hebrew I, right, for Emmanuel. New Testament, Greek E. So when you see it spelled I, that's Old Testament. When you see it E, that's New Testament. So we kind of go back and forth with that. But here's what happens in the Old Testament. The, the prophet Isaiah said, made that, that, that proclamation in 714. And Matthew is referencing that when he talks about it in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's this incredible understanding that God, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Matthew wrote it in the New Testament, the prophet Isaiah said it in the Old Testament, that there will be this virgin and she will give birth to Emmanuel. God will be with you. And so God fulfilled that promise in Jesus on Christmas. That's what all of this is about. Last week, if you were here, Dave showed us that, that we can find God in the valleys in life. Remember that? Remember the roller coaster? But sometimes we enjoy God on the mountaintops. And it's, it's good to enjoy God when things are going well, right? But it's in the valley that we find this intimacy with Him. He said this last week. Dave said, are you willing to trust God and walk out of your valley? And so maybe you've found yourself in this season in your life where you feel like you're in a valley and you're, maybe God's walking you out the other side of that valley. This week, we want to try to find God in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is different than the valley, right? The valley, you think about a valley, in a valley you can see the other side. You can see your, your way out up the other side. Oh, we got to walk up that hill to get out of this valley. The, the wilderness is different. Because in the middle of the wilderness, it, it can seem desolate. It can seem dry. It can seem endless. You can get lost in the wilderness. And you can spend a long time there in that place. The wilderness is barren. And it can be spiritually dry. And, and it can be a place where you feel alone and lost and disoriented. Maybe you've asked this question before. Maybe you're asking this question in your life right now. Maybe in your family, you're asking this question. When is this ever going to be over? <laughs> you, ever, you ever asked that question? Like, when are, when are we ever going to get on the other side of this, God? Right? Maybe you're in a, in a, in a wilderness, of, a financial wilderness. And you're like, we're just trying to dig your way and you work your way and save your way. And you're just, you're just churning it out, right? And you're trying to get out of this financial wilderness. 
and, and you try and try and try, and then you just stop and you feel discouraged. You say, God, when are we ever going to get out of this hole? When are we going to get out of this wilderness? It seems endless, right? Maybe you're in a relational wilderness. And you're like, I long to be in a relationship with the person that loves the Lord as much as I do. God, when are you going to send that person my way, right? Or maybe you're you're praying a prayer. God, when am I going to get out of this relationship? I don't want to be in a relationship, right? You find yourself in this wilderness, this relational wilderness. Maybe it's a a, a spiritual wilderness. And you're like, God, I'm pursuing. I I can't feel. I can't. Are you there? Why why don't I feel? What's going on, right? God, I I don't feel the connection. I'm going to church. I'm doing these things. But I just, I I don't know, God. I I have all these questions. I have all these doubts. And you find yourself in a spiritual wilderness. And you ask the question, when's this ever going to be over? Maybe you've thought this question before. No one's, no one really understands what I'm going through. Ever felt that before? Ever felt like, man, nobody around me really gets what I'm feeling right now, what I'm dealing with right now. And it can be this wilderness place that you find yourself in. I want to share this truth with you today. Look at this. Your deepest need, if you will allow it, your deepest need can become a gift when it drives you to depend on God. I want to show you what I mean today with the wilderness story from the Old Testament. When we don't know where to go or where to turn, God reminds us that He is with us and that we are not alone. Emmanuel. Whether you spell it with an I or an E, it's the same promise that God is with us. And so in your Bibles, God often uses wilderness stories to get people's attention. In the Bible, God often uses these wilderness analogies. Sometimes they're, 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 uh, they can be for a long period of time. Sometimes they're a short period of time. But God uses the wilderness to get people's attention. I mentioned the last time I preached that God uses uh, used the, uh, the, the wilderness for 40 years. For the Israelite people. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. The, the promised land was 11 miles away. And they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years because they couldn't get their act together. And God was trying to teach them something in the middle, middle of the wilderness. God uses the wilderness sometimes to teach us some things. And so wilderness stories in the Bible. Here's what's interesting about them. They often follow mountaintop experiences. Oftentimes... After this mountaintop experience that a person or a group of people have, they usually find themselves on a wilderness journey. And I want to show you one of those today. It's in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. If you got your Bibles, turn to the Old Testament. We're going to be kind of just skimming through this incredible story about Elijah. Uh, the prophet Elijah pops onto the scene in 1 Kings chapter 17. And he goes to this evil King Ahab. And here's what he tells him. He says, they have, there, there's going to be a drought. God's told me to come and tell you to let you know that there's going to be a drought in all of Israel. God wants to get your attention. God wants to wake you up. He wants to wake the people up. So he's going to send a drought. Not going to be any rain until God tells me to ask for rain. And so for the next three years or so, there's a drought in Israel. And, and we see Elijah again in 1 Kings 18 beginning of that chapter. And as you can imagine by now, about three years later, things are really getting bad. 
in Israel, right? Everything's getting dry, <laughs> really dry. The, the streams are drying up. The creeks are drying up. The ponds are drying up. The, there's, like, there's, like, there's less and less, right, water. There hasn't been rain for over... Th- you can imagine the animals start to die, right? There's no plants. There's no food. There's like everything. If, if there was a drought in our country and we didn't have rain for three years, it would get really really bad, right? And so that's what's happening with the Israelite people. No rain for three years. King Ahab is furious with Elijah because in his drought, right? He, he's blaming he's blaming Elijah on this drought. Like, this is your fault, Elijah. And so it's his fault. So he looks for him. He's trying to find him for three years. He can't find him. Finally, God sends Elijah to Ahab to tell him that the drought, it's about to end. Look at verse... 17 in 1 Kings 18. says this, When Ahab saw him walking toward him, he explained, So, is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Look at Elijah's response. I haven't, I haven't made, it's not my fault. I, I haven't made no trouble for Israel. He says, You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord, and you have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Elijah says, look, dude, this ain't on me. (laughs) This is on you. Like, these are the choices that you've made. You are leading the people, and you've led them astray. You've led them away from the true God, and you've allowed all these false gods and all these false prophets to run rapid all over Israel. And now everybody is following Baal and all these other false gods. And, And what happens next? What happens next in the next scene here in Elijah's story in the middle of, of 1 Kings is, um, is a fascinating story. I don't know if you know this story. Maybe some of you know this story. But here, here's what I've always kind of thought when I read this. One of my favorite stories in the whole Bible is that this would be like, and I, I do this several different times when I read things in, in the Bible, but this would be a great motion picture. Like if you were going to make a movie, you'll see what I mean here in a minute. If you were going to make a movie about something that happened in the Bible, this is one of the ones I would start with. Because this is a fascinating story that takes place. It's incredible. It's got all of it. It's got everything that you'd ever want. I want to show you what I mean. Here's what happens. Finally, Elijah's there. He's, he's meeting. He's talking with, with, with Ahab. And he says this. He calls for a meeting on Mount Carmel. And he says, Ahab, I want you to come to this uh, meeting place. We're going to, on the side of the mountain, uh, bring all your false prophets. There were 450 prophets of Baal. There were another 400 pro- uh, false prophets with other false god. And, and uh, Elijah says, bring all 850 of your false prophets. Uh, gather all the people of Israel. Let's gather on the south and this mountain on Mount Carmel. And we're going to have a little contest. Right? And, and he, he gathers all the people there. And here's what he said. Here's the first thing he says in verse 21. He says, Elijah looks at the people. He says, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? He says, look, if the Lord is God, then follow him. If, but if, if Baal, if this false God, if this God that you've all kind of conjured up, if, if this is your true God, then, then follow him. Elijah says to the people, you guys, you need to make a choice. You need to make a decision. Who do you want to follow? He's, Elijah's standing there saying, I am the spokesperson from the, for the God of Israel, the, the true God. But if you want to follow this other God, then, then go ahead and do that. And, and it says the people were completely silent. They, they didn't, didn't have a word to say. They're just standing there in silence. And so Elijah says, okay, here's what we're going to do. 
Here's the contest. We're going to build two altars. We're going to allow the prophets of Baal to build their altar. To pray to their God. And ask for their God to light their altar on fire. And then, I'm going to do the same thing. And so that, that's what happens. Elijah challenges the prophets. They start to, to build their altar. And, and they, they take the wood. They, they take the bull that they cut in, in, into pieces. And they lay it up on their altar. And then they start to sing and chant and dance. And it's this whole scene, right? It's this whole scene of, of these false prophets of Baal doing all this crazy stuff. And the people are watching, and Elijah is watching, and King Ahab is watching, and everyone's watching. And it goes on all morning. They're dancing, and they're praying, and they're yelling. They're, they're uh, hooping and hollering. That's what we do in Kentucky, right? They're just, it's just a big scene. You, like, can you picture this in like the movie? Like this is part of like, it's just this ridiculous scene. And, and here's what happens. Uh, Elijah, Elijah, he lets this go on for all morning. And, and the next verse, the, his response, what he starts to do is, um, well, it's one of my favorite things in the whole Bible. And you'll kind of understand a little bit about my personality when you see what happens next. Because here's what happens next. In verse 27, it says, about noontime, Elijah begins mocking them. Y'all, Elijah's talking trash. He's like, y'all, here's what he says. He says, you you have to shout louder. He said, nothing's happening, right? It's just like complete, like nothing. For surely he is a God, right? But Baal, he's, he's a God. And he says, perhaps he's daydreaming. <laughs> and look what he says next. I love this, right? Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe, maybe he must be relieving himself. Or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened, Right? Elijah, I just picture Elijah standing over in the corner kind of with his arms crossed, just kind of laughing and giggling like, yeah, y'all, yell louder. Maybe he's on the toilet. You know, I don't, like all this crazy stuff's going on and nothing is happening. The, the prophets of Baal get agitated. They begin to shout louder. The Bible says that, that they get so frustrated, they start to cut themselves as, as was their tradition. They start to cut themselves. They start to bleed. Right? And so they're, they're yelling and screaming and dancing. And now there's blood everywhere. Right? Movie. This is like, you, 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 you picture this whole scene, right? And nothing happens. No sound. No reply. No response. Now it's Elijah's turn. Elijah goes over. He has an altar built. Uh, actually, it's an altar that's rebuilt that had been torn down by the, 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 the people. Because they had rejected God. So he rebuilds this altar. Takes 12 stones and starts to place them on this altar. Signifying the 12 stones of Israel. Then he takes uh, the wood, puts it on the altar. He takes the bull that they'd cut up. Places the young bull on the altar. And then here's what he does next. He, he tells the, his servants, he tells his, his, the people that are with him. He says, go get four jars of water and pour it. Uh, let me tell you one, one other thing he does. He builds a trench all the way around the altar. Like this trench all the way around the altar, right? So you can kind of picture this on the side of this mountain. I picture like the prophets of Baal. They're all over here. They're like some of them are passed out because they've lost so much blood. You know, they're just over here like doing this. And like and Elijah and his people and it's quiet. And everybody's like, what in the world? You, you can just picture this scene, right? So there's this trench. There's this altar that, that Elijah's built with the 12 stones. There's the wood. There's the bull. 
and pour water on it. Fascinating little side note, you know, they're in a drought. I, I was just thought about this. I, I've read this story dozens of times. And this week was the first time I thought, hey, like, I'm sure people were standing there going, man, I sure would like to have some of that water that <laughs> they're pouring on this bull or on this altar. But they're pouring this water. They do it, they, they do it three different times. Four jars. It just drenched. You can just, like, now this, the water's just, it, everything's drenched. It, the Bible says that the, the trench is now full of the water. Right? And it, that's the scene. And so, um, Elijah's altar is prepared. And then this is what happens next in verse 36. Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed this prayer. Oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are the God in Israel, that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. Oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And then look at the next word. What's it say? Immediately. Immediately after Elijah prays his prayer. There's no hooping and hollering. <laughs> there's no running around. There's no blood. There's no singing. There's nothing. There's a prayer. And then immediately after that prayer, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven. And look what happens. It burns up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out, O Lord, the Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Right here in this moment, what you've just heard about is Elijah's mountaintop experience with God. Literally and figuratively, right? This is the moment where God is standing there before everyone. Right? I, I picture like the boxer in the middle of the, like with his hands up, like I, I have defeated the enemy. Like I am the winner, right? My God is the true God. This is his moment. It couldn't have gone better if Elijah drew it up himself, right? This was perfect. A mountaintop experience for Elijah in this moment. But remember what I said? A lot of times, wilderness journeys follow mountaintop experiences. In the very next chapter, in the very next few verses, in the very next few hours, King Ahab, he goes home to his wife. His wife was more evil than he was. Her name was Jezebel. He goes home to Jezebel and he says, Honey, you're not going to believe what happened at work today. Alright? All the prophets are gone. They're dead. Uh, because here's what happens. I forgot to tell you this part, which is very important. After Elijah prays the prayer and his altar is totally just like there's like a black spot on the side of the mountain because that's all that's left. Elijah tells the Israelite people, seize these false prophets of Baal. Chase them down and execute them. And so all 850 of them are dead now. They're gone. Elijah's the only one left standing. Ahab goes and he tells Jezebel this. He says, honey, you're not going to, like, all of our prophets, all of our prophetesses, all the, all the people that you were working with, because Jezebel was, she, she had some that she was, uh, were under her control and that, like, were kind of hers, right? And all, they're all gone. All your, all your people are dead. 
And the Bible says that she becomes furious. Right? Like, like Ahab is a guy you should mess with because he's the, because he's the king. But you, you do not want to mess with the king's wife. And Jezebel is ticked. And it says in verse, chapter 19 that she puts a hit out. She says, Elijah, you're dead. As soon as we can get a hold of you, you are dead. It's over for you. And, and then the next day, here's what happens. Remember, Elijah, mountaintop experience. The very next day, here's what Elijah says. Or what the, the, the Bible says about Elijah's story. Elijah was afraid. He'd heard what a, a Jezebel had said, that she was threatened to kill him. So he's afraid. And it says he, he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone, you guessed it, into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Moments after this great victory on Mount Carmel, like the next day, the next morning, he's sitting under a tree and he said, I've had enough of this. God, will you just end it all? Right? Have you ever, have you ever been in a season in your life where you've just said, I've had it up to about here. Right? I've had about enough. <laughs> this is about all I can take. Right? I don't know if I can take any more of whatever wilderness you find yourself in. This is where Elijah is. He had had enough. He couldn't take any more. He was done. And so he sits down and he prays to God, Will you just take my life? Last night. Last night. He was on that mountain, and the people were bowing down, going, Elijah, you're the man. And yes, your God is the true God, and we're going to follow him. And now, because Jezebel wants to kill him, he's just ready to end it all himself. Next, here's what happens next. Uh, God sends an angel to minister to Elijah. God told Elijah to eat and to rest. You know, sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do I just take a nap. <laughs> right? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just to get a good meal and go take a nap. Maybe you'll do that this afternoon. You'll, you'll sit down and you'll try to watch the NFL, but you'll fall asleep, right? And you'll wake up and go, that felt good, right? Sometimes the, the thing we need to do is just to stop and to breathe and to take a deep breath. And that's what God allows Elijah to do in the next few moments. He ministers to his, his soul in this way. Rested and full of bread, Elijah then heads out for a 40-day trip through the wilderness to Mount Sinai, which is also known as the Mountain of God. I've thought about, I was thinking about that this, 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 this morning. I hadn't thought about it until actually today. But I wonder what that 40, and 40 days is a long time, right? It's like, a, it's, you know, it's like a month and another like, you know, 10 days or so, right? So this is a long time. Can you imagine just journeying through the wilderness for 40 days? There are a lot of things that you would think about, that you would pray. If you're alone in the wilderness and, and you're, you're, you're just, you're just, you're ready to, you know, you know, all this crazy stuff's going on in his mind, all the stuff he experienced, you know, several 
several days ago. And so I can just imagine what was going through Elijah's heart and his mind as he's journeying through the wilderness for 40 days. Eventually, Elijah finds himself on the side of Mount Sinai, and and he's in a cave, and he spends the night in the cave. And then here's what happens next. Luke 19, or, or, excuse me, 1 Kings 19, verse 9 and 10. It says this, But the Lord said to him, woke him up, he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, why are you here? Why are you out here in the wilderness, in this cave on the side of this mountain? And here's what Elijah said. He said, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel, they have broken your covenant, They have torn down your altars. They've killed all your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Now they're following Jezebel's orders. And now they they put a hit out on me. And they're trying to kill me too. I'm the only one left, God. I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've done it the way you've asked me to do it. I've been obedient to you. And they're all trying to kill me. And I feel like I'm alone. And I feel like I have no one to turn to. And I'm on the run. And I'm out in the middle of this wilderness. In this cave. Elijah's needs were so great that he could not see beyond them. Right? His needs were so great that he could not see beyond his current circumstances. His current needs. His current situation was so disastrous. There in that cave. You ever been in a cave like that? You ever been in a situation like that? Where you thought, I can't see the way out of this. I I don't know how we're going to get out of this wilderness. I don't see a way out of this cave. I don't see a way out of this darkness. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there today, this morning. Maybe it looked hopeless. It looks hopeless because it did for Elijah. But I want you to see what happens next. Verse 11. God says to Elijah, Go out, stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him. So Elijah stood there on the side of the mountain. The Lord passed by, the Bible says, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn. Remember? Movie, right? This is another incredible scene in this movie, right? We're torn. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. And it was in that whisper that God spoke to Elijah. He couldn't be found in the quaking of the earth. He couldn't be found in in that, that mighty storm. He couldn't be heard there. He couldn't be seen in the fire, the Bible says. But God was heard by Elijah In that gentle whisper. God was not in the remarkable. He was in the stillness. The the, the soft voice. The whisper of God. Why is it that when life gets so difficult, right? that, That when things get tough, 
that it seems like God is still, that God is silent, that God's voice can't be heard, right? Why, why is it? If God wants us to hear for him, why does he whisper? Why doesn't he shout? Why isn't he loud? Why isn't he like jumping up and down trying to get our attention? Why does God whisper? I'll tell you why God whispers. God whispers because he's close. Right? God whispers because he's close. You can't can't hear someone whisper unless you're really close to them. God draws you into a relationship with him. And what God wanted to remind Elijah, I'm here. I've always been here. Why does he whisper? Because he's close. What does he whisper? He whispers, I didn't forget you. I didn't forsake you. You're not alone. I am here with you. Emmanuel, right? That is what God whispers. When you are lost in the wilderness, you need someone to come close. You need someone to show you the way out. I love Psalm 34, 18. It says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Maybe you feel brokenhearted this morning. Maybe you feel like your spirit has been crushed. What the Bible says is that God wants to rescue you. And the way he does that is he comes Close. He whispers because he is close and you are not alone. I'll finish with this. The end of, of the things that God whispers to Elijah on the side of that mountain, here's what he tells him. Interestingly enough, he says, Hey, Elijah, I want you to know that you're not alone. Yes, I, I'm here with you. Obviously, you, you can tell that. But I want you to know that there are 7,000 Israelites back home that have not bowed to Baal. They have not worshipped those false gods. They are still walking with me. And Elijah thought what? He thought he was the only one left. He thought, it's over. This, whatever God you're trying to do here with Israel and with us, like, it's over. I'm the last one. And they, they're trying to, and so once they kill me, God, it's over. And God comes to Elijah and says, you have no idea what I'm doing back in Israel. There are 7,000 people who have not bent their knee to Baal. They're still with me. You are not alone. I'm with you, Elijah, but you are not alone here either with your people. And so what I want to encourage you with this morning is that as well. Look around. You're not alone. Well, there's not 7,000 of us here today, but you're not alone. You have people around you sitting next to you today that if you were bold enough and had enough courage to share what you're going through with them, they have probably, some of them somewhere, has a very similar story to tell. 
And they know exactly how you feel. God uses us to minister to one another, just like He ministers to us. And so what we need to be mindful of is that God sends His Holy Spirit to whisper to us every day, and He also sends individuals along our way to say, you are not alone. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. If you're in a valley and it nudges you closer to God, that's a blessing. If you're in the wilderness, right, and God reveals himself to you in the middle of that pain and difficulty, it is a blessing. The greatest gift you may receive this Christmas season is that reminder that whatever it is you're going through, whatever difficulties you may be experiencing right now, God comes and He says, you are not alone. I'm right here. Would you guys pray with me? We need we need to be reminded that we're not alone. It's easy It's really easy feel like we are. But that doesn't come from you. Those thoughts and those whispers come from Satan. He wants to tell us that we're alone. He wants to tell us that no one gets us. He wants to tell us that you're not real. That you never were. Or that you're dead. Or that you have forsaken us. Or that you turned your back on us. And you whisper, I've always been here. I'm right here, right now, right beside you. I'll never leave you. Sent you my son to remind you of how much I love you. Christmas is about a God who stepped out of the throne room of heaven into that manger, into that scene on Christmas to remind us that God is with us. He always has been and He always will be. God, if there's another person today in this room that needs to make the decision that TJ made earlier. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to do that before they leave this place today. If there's another person 
God, that, that walked in here feeling alone and lonely and in the middle of a wilderness. And God, you're giving them some hope as they walk out of here. God, I pray that they would act upon that. I pray that they would seek us out so that we could pray with them and minister to them not like you've ministered to us and share that gospel message about what you've done how good you are to us in the middle of our sin and in the middle of the, the, the disaster that is our lives sometimes God you you just simply say stop stop I'm here you're not alone I I'm with you. That's the hope we hang on to today. That's what we cling to this morning as we sing this song. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? Let's sing this song. If you want to pray with someone, if you want to talk with someone, Dave's back over at our decision area. Some other folks will be over there as well. Let's let's sing.
God's whispers. It's amazing. When you open up His Word and you read it and you study it and you insert yourself into situations where you're around other people who are reading it and studying it and living by it. It's amazing how often God will whisper to you. My encouragement for you this morning would be that. If you don't feel it, if you're like, yeah, I don't feel anything, anything you're talking about, dude, I would challenge you with that simple question. When's the last time you opened up God's Word? When's the last time you really invested in it? Invested time and energy into studying it and understanding what God wants to share with you? Oh, yeah, the world. Satan's going to say, it's ancient, it's old, it's irrelevant, it's outdated, it doesn't matter anymore. Like that stuff is, it's just a book. That's what the world's going to tell you. That's what Satan's going to tell you. That's what he's going to yell at you. God's going to whisper to you. I'm still here. And I want to talk to you. I want to speak 